Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current course setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version last year and have been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 265. Today, we're talking with my good buddy, Corey, about killing his biggest Iowa archery buck to date. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine and avoiding whatever kind of nastiness that's floating around um, as as far as sicknesses go. A bunch of my buddies came back from the ATA show. Everyone got some form of illness for the most part. And then, of course, we have something that's still kind of rotating through our house here. We've basically been sick on and off since the uh, since Christmas. So hopefully this will be the the last round of it. And be honest with you, man, I'm ready for that. The illnesses to be kind of gone. They've they've put a damper in my uh, postseason hunting because I was able to make one trip that I talked about to the to that new piece. I you know, had been scouting and stuff like that. And now the season's closing statewide here in PA. Uh, this is the last weekend uh, special regs unit. I got a little bit more time. Uh, in, in, in those areas and it was planning to get out or try to get out 
on uh, Monday, so two days ago, because we were uh, got getting snow over this past weekend, um, and was kind of stoked to maybe go out and do a little late season hunting with some snow. So uh, we'll see if the uh, if I'm if I'm well enough to actually make the trek out on that uh, on that Monday, since I'm recording this prior uh, prior to that. So with that, we're going to keep this upfront short and just get to the straight dope. Before I do that, three things to mention really quickly. One, there should be some new merch dropping on truthfromthestand.com this week. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, it should be up already. If not, certainly next week it'll be up. So head over to the website, truthfromthestand.com, go to the merch tab, and you can use the promo code TFTS21 to get to save some dough on any of the merch. But there should be some new stuff uh, there in the next few days, fingers crossed. Also, I guess really one other thing, the Great American Outdoor Show starts on February 5th. If you dig being around a bunch of deer hunters, a bunch of outdoors men and women, I highly urge you to go check the show out. It's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, if you've not been, it's super cool. It's the largest kind of retail outdoor uh, consumer show, I guess might be a way to say it, uh, on the on the planet. Basically, any brand is going to be there, likely selling, most likely selling their stuff, and almost always there are show deals that you get there that you won't get anywhere else. And I'll be hanging out in the Archery Hall on February 5th, the opening day, kind of split my time, bebopping back and forth between the tether booth, which is booth 1033. So be sure to head over and, and say hi to Greg and Taylor and all those guys. I should be over there for a little while as well on the 5th. And then also my boys from Exodus will be there with all their gear, truck cameras, et cetera, that you can pick up. They usually have some, uh, I don't know exactly what the deals are, but they usually always have show deals going on. But you can check out all the Exodus stuff at booth 927. I'll be there part of the 5th as well, kind of hanging out, talking deer hunting and talking trail cameras, of course. So head to the Harrisburg Outdoor Show February 5th if you want to hang out with me, talk deer hunting. If you can't make it that day, be sure to go any of the other days between the 5th and the 13th and visit my buddies at those two booths. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. Got my buddy Corey on. I'm not going to kind of explain how he and I met necessarily. We talk about that in the in the actual podcast itself. Long story short is, is I was in Iowa hunting. We ran into each other at you know parking lots, gas stations, just kind of struck up a friendship just from those chance meetings. And we've stayed in touch all these years. He had a super killer hunt this year for a awesome buck. I think it ended up going like 160 and some change and is the biggest archery buck that he's killed to date. And the hunt for it is just is super rad. So I'll go ahead and jump into the today's podcast. Let Corey tell you that story. But as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I got my buddy on. Uh, I'll say we're, we're good buddies, man. We, we've broke bread together and, and, and hung out over uh, over hunting. But uh, this is a general, I'll share the story of how we met, but I got my buddy uh, Corey McKinney on. What's going on, brother? Not much, man. What's going on with you? Oh, uh, you know, living the good life, you know, just got out yeah. of the salt mines, you know, uh, wishing, wishing I was uh, living in Iowa. Maybe not now, man, because you guys got some, well, it's cold here too, but you guys are pretty brutal right now, aren't you? Yeah, actually, today was kind of a different day. It was mid-40s when I drove home after work, so we got some unusual ones here for a couple of days, but it'll cool back down. Dang, man. That's almost like, uh, I'm going to say tropical compared to what i am got going on right now. It's <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I think today was, uh, I think when I drove my daughter down to the bus stop this morning, it was seven degrees. I think was the, and she usually doesn't like dad to take her to the bus stop, to be quite honest. You know, it's not, she's 13, so it's not cool. Um, but the past like week and a half, she's been glad to take the uh, warm truck ride to the, uh, the bus stop, you know? So yeah, for sure. That's a a whole nother way to rate the coldness. 
Yeah, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> the fact that she's willing to be seen with me <laughs> versus yeah. be, be cold. And it, it's not that far of a of a walk. It might be 150 yards, maybe. But uh, I, I feel bad sending her out there in the in the freezing cold. Now my old man had no problem with it. it was like get your ass out in the cold, you know. And that was all there was <laughs> to it, you know. But uh, yeah. how, you, how you been, man? How's uh how are how's uh how's Iowa treating you? Pretty good. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, Just, uh, working and hunting and. You know, unfortunately, I guess today is the 11th, so this is the the day after the last day of hunting season in Iowa, so it's uh, just doing a lot of ice fishing for me. That's my next step. That's right. how I uh, get from one point to the next, so nice. it's going good. Nice. Yeah, I think um, we have, I think statewide, we've got one more week, because yeah, we're recording this on the 11th. I think, I want to say the... I think seventeenth of Monday, sixteenth, so maybe the fifteenth, I think, or something like that, is like next weekend. This coming weekend, I think, is the last weekend. Yeah. Um, but cool. that's for statewide. But special regs where I'm at, you get a little bit more, a little bit more time. So I got a little bit of time left. I mean, I was hoping to maybe try to get after a couple bucks that were were local. None of them have kind of showed up on camera and and things of that nature. And so now I'm at. You're always at that weird period this time of year where you're a little nervous about killing does at least i am you know Mm -hmm. based on you know unless i can get a really good look at it and know it's not a shed buck and so it makes me just have a little bit of pause about flinging arrows this time of year because i could be killing the the deer that i want to kill next year (laughs) type of thing (laughs) you know yeah which would uh which would make me pretty uh pretty sad but man it's kind of a like i mentioned at the at the top you know how we met was kind of kind of interesting because people always hear or talk about um these horror stories when they go out of state to hunt, right. You mm-hmm. know, they say, you know, the locals slash my tires and, you know, or kick my door in or whatever the case is, right. They, or they, they get gar hold where someone tells them to go hunt over here and it's like, there hadn't been a deer there in 30 years or whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, but I will say just in my travels in general, the different States I've traveled to, I've not ever to this point, knock on wood, run into a local who's treated me badly to the point that that is exactly how you and I met. I was in Iowa, you know, on my, you know, my first Iowa hunt, you draw points here, you, you know, put in for as a non-resident it took 40 years to, to get it. We were hunting the same piece of, same piece of property, same piece of public. Yep. And if I'm not mistaken, we both walked out about the same time to our trucks. We got to the same place, you know, we were at that parking spot and we just kind of struck up a conversation in the parking lot and, you know, you're like, oh, you're from Pennsylvania. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, how long are you out here? I was like, oh, I'll be out here two weeks. And we just kind of started, and this is what I love about bow hunting. It's like, we just started kind of immediately chopping it up. You were talking about a deer you were hunting in this one kind of area. And I told you where I was kind of at and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not going to bother me at all. Keep doing what you're doing. And then I, I don't know, this was the thing where I was like, Corey's a solid dude. Like we immediately, you were like, Hey, did you scout this other piece over here? Or have you looked at it? And I said, yeah, I scouted it in the spring for like a quick walkthrough. And you said, Hey, down around this other part. Have you been down there? And I said, I hadn't made it down there, but that was the one of the spots on a map I was looking at. And because you live in the area, like you've run cameras and are familiar with that area, you know, really, really well for years. And you just kind of gave me a piece of Intel saying, Hey, you know, I've seen good deer over there in the past. I think you had some buddies in that might've been in the year before or something like that, that saw some good deer Mm -hmm. over there. And, um, it wasn't like you gave me GPS coordinates or anything like that. You were just like, Hey, you know, if you're, if you, if you're looking for another place to kind of see where you can find some action, you know, I would head over there and just kind of take a look. And sure enough, that's what I did. And that's where I ended up. I'm, you know, from on that trip, I would text you pretty much after every hunt, like what was going on. And I text you when I missed that one big one and I finally killed one and text you. Um, 
but from that day, I was like, you know, I was like, this will be a dude that I talked to probably for the rest of my life, <laughs> just based on that one chance meeting in a parking lot. And then we ran into each other at Casey's, you know, like, like three days <laughs> later, you know, and that's just like the coolest that's just like the coolest things. So I just want to say thanks, dude, for being a cool local that didn't give a non-resident a hard time. Yeah, no, for sure, man. I appreciate it. It's, it's one of the cool things, you know, it's as, you know, I think bow hunting, especially traveling is just ramping up. And every year we get to, you know, I kind of bump into people and, and chat with guys and you just, especially driving around the public, just like looking at the plates, you know, me and my mm-hmm. dad all the time are like, yeah, we've seen a, gray ford park there and i'm all you know we're always like what were the plates on it you know just yeah. curious to are we getting guys from all over are we getting guys from wherever you know but we're all in the same game right so it's yeah. cool to share stories and, and hear and see how other people are doing and you know if you can help out and get another guy a deer right that's yeah. the whole point of it yeah yeah and, and that's just i mean that's yeah that's why you and i'll always kind of you know stay connected because that's you know that those are the type of folks i mean if you're smart you try to surround yourself with people just like that, you know, um, that are no matter if it's hunting or whatever it is that you're doing that are, yeah. that are willing to support you and happy for your success and, and stuff like that. Cause you know, that was, you know, uh, it, it actually like that conversation you and I had when we met kind of shocked me to be honest, because not only did we start talking you were kind of sharing some Intel with me because you, you, you know, the area really well, like you actually started sharing trail camera pictures with me. Like, Hey, I've seen this deer over here. I've seen this deer over here, you know? And I was just like, man, I was like, this is just like the cool, like I've never run into anybody out of state that's done it. I mean, I'll put it this way. I don't know that my buddies would do that with me like locally, <laughs> you know, what I yeah. mean? share that kind of information. But, uh, you know, it, it definitely set me on the right path and I ended up filling a tag and, you know, and, and made a really good buddy out of the, out of the whole deal to, uh, so, uh, yeah, man, it's like now you got, whether you like it or not, man, you got a lifelong hunting buddy and, uh, I'll be bothering you when I come back out. It should be like two more years and I'll be back out to visit you. Yeah. Right on, man. You're always welcome. You know, my parents got a cool place down there. You, you always got a place to stay when you come, but you know, I just want to reiterate, reiterate. That's not the word I'm looking for. Reiterate. I got you. I knew what you were saying. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, last couple of years, you know, a mission of mine has been trying to shoot a mule deer with my bow and we've not been going out West and. You know, it's just kind of like reflecting back on, I wish, you know, I would have met someone out there that mm-hmm. could have gave me a little bit of pointer. So it's like, why don't you just like, you know, carry the faith onto the next guy and we can all kind of help each other out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's obviously not like we're giving exact GPS points and that kind of stuff, you know, but right. it's like when you have such a massive ground and you only have so much time to, to hunt that. And like, I, you know, I know how hard it is to work for something and travel for something. So, you know, helping helping each other out. We're all hunters, right? Yeah. To uh, kind of get to that end goal. It's just kind of paying the favor back. And I'm glad it worked out for you. It was awesome. It was cool to see that text from you. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think too that, you know, cause I, I certainly have people reach out to me like to States that I've gone to. And I, I just had a buddy tonight text me and say, he's, he's getting ready to, I went to Kansas this year and he's going, starting to make plans for next year. Um, and so he was just pinging me, asking me some questions. And, um, I think it's one of those things that you recognize when someone's putting in the work, you know what I mean? I think that's the biggest thing. Like a lot of times you'll get guys, maybe they're younger guys that maybe aren't kind of, kind of, uh, hip to like the, uh, uh, the etiquette maybe might be the right way to put it about how, how to go about looking for information. Right. Cause when you and I met in the parking lot, my first question wasn't to you like, Hey man, are there any big deer around here? Like, certainly that would turn probably turn you off. Right. It's like yeah. first thing I'm out of my mouth is like trying to get you to tell me where the big deer are at. It was more about like, 
hey, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. You, how long are you here? Oh, I'm here. It's like, yeah, yeah, scouted over here. And we just start talking hunting. You know what I mean? Like, and that's really where it started. And then from there, you're like, you know, at least this is how I am. I'm like, all right, this, this guy's like, he's looking, he's putting in the work. It's like, I can probably just mm-hmm. point him in a dire- in a general direction and let him go, you know? And, and, and most guys that are like that, like they don't want the GPS coordinates. They just want to know, am I headed in the right direction? You know, For sure. and that's, and that's really it. And, um, uh, and that's what I try to do with my buddies. You know, it's like, if someone heads me up and says, Hey, you know, I'm going to Missouri, you know, what do you think of these units? And if I've scouted them or e-scouted them before, it's like, I'll tell them like, Hey, you know, that Eastern side looked pretty good to me when I was there. There was, there was a good amount of sign there. The Western side got a lot of pressure, you know, or the tops got a lot of pressure or there's a lot of really bad access. So I don't know. I'd maybe steer clear of it, but check it out. You know, so I don't want to tell someone what to do, but I'll certainly tell them what my experience was, you know, and that's really what you did for me, which was awesome. Cause I've got, I got to get pointed in a direction where I thought I was going to have, have a chance, you know, and, but I was still able to just, I still had to just go figure it out, which was kind of what we do it for anyway. Right. Is to to go figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it's hunting, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's like, it's not all about just shooting a deer. You know, it's, it's funny growing up. My dad used to always say, you know, like, are you a hunter? Or are you a killer? Right. Right. It's like, are you, do you want to put in the time and outsmart them? And, um, you know, you know, that's, that's part of it. And then, being able to, you know, connect on your opportunities that happen. Yeah. And you know, like that year too, you know, like I was speaking to you just from past history. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any stands in there that year. I was just saying, you know, yeah, I know roughly that the deer moved that way and I've seen some good deer in neighboring cornfields moving that way. So it's not like I was pointing in the exact spot. Right. Right. How was, uh, did you go out West this year, man? I didn't. So I'm like, I'm dipping my toes right in the Mm -hmm. Western world world. Me and my dad, this year actually start purchasing points um, for Wyoming and Montana, you know, and elks on our bucket list. We want to get and do that. Uh, but just trying to get into the Western game, it's been the last two years. I actually went to Nebraska just because it was the easiest over the counter archery mule deer tags. Yep. Um, didn't shoot anything, but definitely gained a lot of experience. You know, I'm a, I'm an Iowa whitetail tree stand guy. Mm-hmm. Spot and stock is like a whole new world to me. <laughs> so I, I learned a ton. It was a blast. Um, you know, it's my wife. I always come home and I'm like, God, you know, it was so hot. And it's sandy. And she's always like, you got to go somewhere different next year. I don't want to hear you complain about it. And then next year it comes around and I'm going back. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, um, exactly. But no, didn't make it this year. Life happens, you know, work out crazy, but um, yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back out there. Yeah. I can attest that transition to the pure spot and stock game. Cause that was pretty much the whole game in in kansas this year was that i mean where i was at there weren't a lot of trees you know and even if there, even when there were they were all you know thorny ass locust trees or <laughs> you know or, or just like 80 feet wide or around you know cottonwood trees or whatever the case was that you yeah. couldn't get into anyway um you know and so it was all all ground game you know i i was in a tree i think maybe three different times out of the whatever it was like 14 15 16 days that i was there um and it's just, I don't know, it, I feel like it definitely sharpens your skills because you have to be so much more attuned to like every, every move that you're making, um, every, like all of your surroundings, what your setups look like, where the sun's hitting, you know, the, of course the wind naturally, cause you certainly aren't cheating the wind when you're on ground level, you know, you're certainly not mm-hmm. cheating, you know, visibility and movement. You know, what was, uh, what's been the hardest part for you in, in terms of the, uh, the learning curve of, of how to transition from hunting elevated to being on the ground consistently? 
Yeah. So, I mean, like the first year I went to Northwestern Nebraska, so it was a lot more wooded. It was mm-hmm. kind of like that. It kind of looked like not really badlands, but, um, you know, a lot more of that like bluffy tree mm-hmm. country. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of just like spot and stock experience, you know, right. um, not just like blazing your head over the top of the hill and getting skyline. Um, and a lot of just, a, just general spot and stock stuff. You know, last year, um, I hunted in the sand hills, which the biggest thing for me, and I actually went with a buddy of mine um, that lives down in Southeast Iowa. And the biggest thing I think for both of us really was like mentally, like thinking of, you know, when I walk through a wood, the timber here, you know, I think of, I'm constantly thinking about like whitetail habitat and, and mm-hmm. food and cover. And when I go out there, you know, my mind kicks the whitetails. I think of where are the trees, right? They're mm-hmm. staying in the cover. But when you're hunting mule deer, like you'll find them out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I'll be like, where are they staying and eating? And it just confuses me. Yeah. Um, so it was hard to like, you know, tell myself, okay, there is trees over there, but we're hunting muleys here. We need to go to a different habitat and, and kind of understanding, and I don't know much about mule deer. So like really learning how the deer, you know, bed and, and feed and kind of how they move was kind of the biggest step for me. And I, we would still find ourselves like, oh, that looks like great cover over there. That's whitetail cover. You know, right. that's not mule deer cover. So I think mentally like understanding the habitat of the of the animal is kind of the biggest step for me but yeah i would i would agree with that even even with whitetails in kansas it was it was similar just in the sense that there wasn't a lot of timber and so you had to think about cover differently and out there and it was just so hard to like switch my brain you know like mm-hmm. i i academically knew it because mm-hmm. when you when you just look around there is no there are no big blocks of timber you know, yeah. big clear cuts or anything like that, that you would typically want to go hunt in at that point, their cover is a big CRP field, a, yeah. a field of millet. You know, I don't know how many times that Chad and I saw deer pop out of a, a field of millet that we just didn't have a, or Milo, you know, or whatever the case was, it just like, they appeared out of nowhere, you know, like out of thin air, like, Oh, it, there's some deer. You know, it was just like, where, where were they at? You know, like we've been here for two hours and we haven't seen them, you know, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, they just kind of appear. That was, that was the biggest thing. So I totally agree with you. What we, to you know, and I think I'm a big advocate of trying to take what I already kind of know and how do I kind of, how do I kind of use that? So the one thing we started doing and then Chad capitalized on this and killed a hammer deer. I think I sent you a picture of that deer. Um, yeah, it was a giant. And, uh, what we started kind of looking for then was where are, because it's also crop rotation out there too. Cause you know, it, it was funny talking to locals. They actually didn't really start hunting hard until like, like after we left, actually, you know, the, like most locals we talked to said, yeah, I got into a tree a couple of times in October, but I'll, I'll, we'll get cranking here in a, another week or so. And probably like around Thanksgiving, cause there were still some crops that were standing. And so what we had kind of started looking at was, where are some areas that have like a block of timber or, you know, like a draw, like a draw that has like a cedar thicket that kind of runs along the draw or whatever the case is and has the crops all pulled out around it, at least the adjacent properties. It might not be like all the properties around it, but at least like the closest properties have the crops pulled out because now the cover game become, becomes a little easier to figure out, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, whenever you've got a standing Milo field or a millet field here and you got, crp over here and then you've got a cornfield like only a third of its cut and you know it's like well yeah they could be anywhere at that point you know um so we started kind of doing that and that was when we finally started seeing 
seeing more deer. But that took, you know, like a week to probably figure that out to like, you know, how are we going to, you know, just consistently see deer. And that was the, <laughs> that was, the, that was the switch that we made. And once we did that, we started seeing deer more consistently, you know, but so, man, I want to, I want to definitely get into your, uh, your hunt from, from this year. But before we do that, I, I just want to get a sense like how you got started. I mean, I know your dad hunts and stuff like that. So was mm-hmm. it like classic Southeast Iowa where, you know, you were, you were born to hunt and you were going to hunt come hell or high water. Cause that's just what your family does. Or was it a different kind of way you started? No, that, that was pretty much it. You know, my dad was a huge hunter. My dad got me into it. It's kind of funny. I got two other brothers, um, that really could care less. Um, <laughs> they just, you know, hunting's not their thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my dad's definitely the one that got me into it. And bow hunting is just, uh, it's kind of our thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was talking the other day about this and I don't know if I've ever shot a deer with a shotgun or a <laughs> rifle or anything. I mean, it's, it's always been a muzzleloader or a bow and my dad was just always a diehard bow hunter. And you know, the first deer I ever shot, I think I was 12 or 13. I shot it with a bow. Um, and I've always, we've just always been bow hunters and you know, he's big into it and I'm big into it. And we work together on a lot of this stuff on trail cameras and stands and everything else. So yeah, nice. my dad's definitely the one that, kind of drove the passion in me nice now is he i mean i know you're a diehard bow hunter is he is is he yeah. as diehard as as you are or is he a little bit more um uh, a hobbyist maybe might be one way to put it i'm curious yeah i would say you know nowadays um you know nowadays i think he he enjoys like we have a lot of people that come down um and hang out we kind of have this deer camp mm-hmm. you know as life goes on it's, it's hard to get schedules up but he really enjoys having people down there and, and you know, I mean, you were talking about texting each other after every hunt. He, yeah. you know, he really enjoys having people back to the house and what did you see and what do you do? Yeah. I mean, he's still got that bow hunter in him, uh, but it's definitely not as much as what it was, you know, when he was like, he, when he was my age, you know, right. um, he, he was really into it, but he still, you know, he still bow hunts just as much as we do, but you know, sometimes you can find him maybe sleeping in when we're all hunting. <laughs> um, Right. He'll laugh when he hears this, but right. Well, um, you, you you earn it at some point, right? That's like yeah, that's what yeah. happens. You 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 earn that right to to sleep in a little bit. He's been there, done that. You know, um, I know, and it, and it and it never fails. We'll have a bunch of guys down there, and we'll hunt our butts off. We're hunting every morning, every night. You know, and Dad will wait for that morning that's just perfect, right? The weather's good. Mm-hmm. He'll go out and see a good one. We're like, what the heck? Yeah, like we've been hunting our butts off, and you go out hunt one time. Yeah, you know, obviously it's not one time, but right. Now I get what you're saying though. It's, it's, it's like that, uh, you know, what we refer to as old man strength. It doesn't matter how old I get, you know, my dad's still stronger than me. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of the same way where it's that old man intuition where it's, you know, uh, it ain't quite right. It's like an old buck. It's like an old surly buck, man. You know, it's like how many times have you heard guys are just killers that say, you know, if you're trying to kill the biggest buck or the most mature buck, I guess I should say, you know, a lot of them, when those, you know, two and three-year-olds are running around, you know, middle of October or late October, it's like the, the old guys are laying back going, yeah, you know what, young fellas, young blood, the party hasn't started yet, (laughs) you know, and then, you know, lo and behold, you get, you know, right there close to Thanksgiving or so, it's like all of a sudden, like that monarch you haven't seen for a year, you know, that's the uh, rules, the woods, that's uh, he decides to get up then, you know, I think it's the same thing with, uh, with our old men. It's, they have this, uh, knowledge that they've gained over time that allows them to sleep in and still, uh, and still whoop our butt pretty much. That's I think how it goes. Yeah, I know it's, 
it's funny especially like we'll get arguing whenever we're setting stands and see you know i'll want to i'll will want to put one somewhere and he's like i am not walking that far into the stand every time <laughs> you know and it's always like all right you know we can put it somewhere closer but yeah yeah it's just funny that's that's funny yeah my dad's the same way um he uh he's got a property that he, he bought actually in Pennsylvania. He actually just, well, he's retired in April, but he, he built a cabin on it and, you know, so he'll be able to do a lot more bow hunting in PA. He was living in the Carolinas for a while. And, uh, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, Hey, we'll hang a thing here. He's like, ah, I got this stand down here. I'll just hunt down there. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's an easy place to get to. And sure enough, he shot a buck out of it this year. So I was stoked for him because that was his first buck off his new, off his new property, off of his retirement cool. property. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was pretty pumped for him for that. But, uh, so, so your dad got you into hunting. It sounds like it's a family affair, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'm just curious, you know, cause even though we've talked about hunting and stuff like that, you know, and we shared trail camera pictures and, and things like that, I still don't know yeah. a whole lot about like your approach to hunting. Like, you know, I know you scout a lot, you know, but do you consider yourself to be you know, are you aggressive? Are you super patient? I know you're, you're pre, you're pre hanging some sets and stuff like that, but you mm -hmm. know, are you, are you mobile or how do you kind of approach your season in terms of, you know, how aggressive patient or mobile you're going to be? So I wouldn't say we're too aggressive. Um, really not, not really at all. Really. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, once we kind of hang sets, I mean, we're not afraid to move sets. So we normally hang quite a few because mm -hmm. um, we have a variety of guys that come down that I've met throughout the years, whether that be in college or work or friends from high school. Um, so we, we normally set a pretty good spread. And a lot of times, you know, we just kind of pick and choose those based off trail cam photos. And mm -hmm. if, if an individual set needs to be moved within that area because the deer are moving slightly different than we thought we do, but, you know, mobile hunting, I've just never really quite got into it. You know, I know like you're a harness guy and I've always thought about, um you know maybe trying that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but then again i go back to where it's sure nice to have a stand there and i can just climb right in it and be quiet yeah um but no i mean we're pretty patient i mean for a lot of the hunting that we do it's like especially when you're hunting these massive chunks of public um it's like it's literally trying to find the does yeah it's kind of it's kind of how we hunt and and a lot of it too is like i've hunted you know my dad's hunted this ground way longer than i have right so he knows these old areas that deer used to run this ridge and, and so on but every year we just keep perfecting we kind of have these areas that we always put a stand in every year um and each year we see we kind of learn something new we change the stand up slightly we kind of figure out where they're coming from um and we and for the most part we've kind of had the same like you know dozen or so spots that we kind of keep going back to and just fine-tuning year after year after year right. and we're still not there like we're way far off from it right but we just keep learning yeah, no, that makes sense, man. I mean, you know, I, I certainly enjoy, um, you know, mobile hunting stuff like that, but even within the, me being pretty mobile, you know, for the, for the most part, when, mm -hmm. I, when I'm at home, you know, hunting around, around here, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm mobile to a degree. I, I certainly have spots that I could literally preset something if I wanted to, cause I kind of, when I'm scouting, I was like, I kind of go in, I'm like, all right, it's, it's going to be this tree for this setup, right. For this wind. And I kind of know, yeah. and I kind of know that, you know, the, like to your point, I'll change up. If I get into a tree and I see them moving 50 yards away, then I might get down and just move, you know, or if it's late in a hunt and I don't have time to make the move, it's like, I might just get out. So I don't booger it up and then know that I need to change 50 yards for the next setup. If I'm going to come back or whatever. Yeah. Where my mobile, mobileness, if you will, if that's even a word, 
comes in is probably more when I is probably more when I travel, just because I don't know the I don't know the areas nearly as much. Um, For sure, and so I have to kind of go, you know, go spend time finding them. You know, whereas at home, so much pressure in PA. You know, I, I'm I'm going to try to find the, like the little, the little gem that where there's a bunch of pressure around me, and I'm going to kind of like go to that one spot, that void where no one's at, yeah. and that's going to be the spot I hunt. You know, um, but like like you said you know, your dad's been hunting that area for, for forever and has, you know, has a pretty good beat on it. I'm curious what your, like, what does your postseason scouting and kind of work look like? I'm I'm sure you're like doing some shed hunting. I'm sure you're, like you mentioned, you're re- revisiting old areas and tweaking them, but how much are you going out and kind of looking at new spots and, and, and things like that? Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Yeah, so it's it's kind of all the time, right? <laughs> um, and it, it's it's funny. Like, my wife makes fun of me because constantly whenever we're doing, I'm always like, oh, that, you know, I go look at that a little bit more, pointing out scrapes. Like, we all do that, right? Yeah. All hunters do that. But um, we, do, we do a decent amount of shed hunting. To be completely honest, I am a horrible shed hunter i've never been good at it i suck at finding sheds uh, you Especially, you were, we're like we're like peas in a pod dude because i am too yeah. i came to iowa and like my buddy was like dude you're gonna find magnums in iowa because he finds piles of sheds he lived he lived yeah. in southeast iowa too and uh i went out for like three days i didn't find a single shed <laughs> it's, i know and, and i like i have friends too that'll find like 70 of them a year i'm like are you buying these things like right. i just walked five miles today and found like a fork horn right you know um <laughs> especially in like big timber like big public timber mm-hmm. i am just horrible at it i yeah. you know but a lot of times if you go that early spring right when that snow melts off that's kind of our biggest time um is because you can still see those trails real well you can still see those those rubs real well those scrapes mm-hmm. you know because especially down there where we hunt just that timber grows up so fast yeah. you get that multiflower rose and honeysuckle um and it just gets so thick and it's so hard to tell what exactly you're looking at yeah um and even some years on dry years we get there's these things called seed ticks that are like horrid and a lot of times in the middle of the summer we stay out of there for the most part because if you get into some seed ticks you're gonna hate your life for Uh, quite a while yeah yeah but i know i totally get that man because i know john Mm -hmm. my buddy who lives uh lives in that area gets ate Mm -hmm. up with him anytime he goes he's kind of the same way he tries to get all of his stuff done in the spring he he might Mm -hmm. go in and maybe go to his lease and he might trim out a shooting lane or go check some cameras. But by and large, like most of his deep timber stuff is done before that, before that happens because he's made the fatal mistake of going in in the past and exactly what you said. He was hating his life for sure. Yeah. And, and I do some of it, right. Cause I'm ambitious. My dad doesn't because you know, he's like, he's wiser than I am. Like, right. He's done the seed tick thing. He knows right. it sucks, but you know, I'll like soak all my stuff and from in and, and most part you can make it out pretty well. But yeah. I, you just get gun ho, right? You're dreaming about it all summer. And, and I'll go in and poke around and put some stuff up. But, you know, and then a lot of times, you know, we hang stands later than what most people would mm-hmm. um, because I'm running cameras everywhere. I'm doing mock scrapes, running cameras, trying to find the does for that year. Obviously, we have like our bread and butter spots that we know produce um, like good bucks, right? There's mm-hmm. just good bedding areas. They always travel there. Um, you know, and we don't necessarily hunt like there's been a few deer that we've really patterned year after not really patterned, but 
necessarily seen year after year after year mm-hmm. um but for the most part when you're hunting you know several thousand acres of big timber and especially when the rut comes around man those bucks just go everywhere yeah so we're mainly hunting you know rut spots um finding those does um and just you know really doing that scouting with those cameras and running them everywhere and constantly moving them and until we find good spots and then we'll hang sets up on them right um some of it because of the sea ticks and some of it because you know we're just really throwing cameras everywhere trying to get a better scope on what it's going to look like that year right i was actually going to ask you anyway so we're already kind of there so i'll just i'll bring it up you know how mm-hmm. are you how are you using you know trail cameras do you hang them in areas that you won't even hunt to like get data for next year you know or are you using those cameras for kind of most recent intelligence that you're going to hunt it this year or do you take a, a longer term kind of approach or, or is it both? Is it, I'm hanging some of them cause I'm going to use them, you know, use it this year to figure out what exactly I'm going to do. Then I have some that I have out in areas that I'm not even going to touch that I'm really just kind of letting them soak there. So I know what's going on for, you know, next year or the year after whatever the case is. Yeah. It's, it's for sure. Both like, you know, every year I, like I say, we have those bread and butter spots. I go put a camera in there right away. A lot of times I do a mock scrape just because it just gets better pictures. You can get yeah. a deer to stop there or something, you know, yeah. Sometimes I can't hang, hang cameras exactly where I want them because it is public, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to get those stolen. We haven't had t- too bad of a problem with it, but anyone that hangs a lot of cameras on public over a period of time is going to have cameras stolen. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just inevitable. But um, but there's a lot of, like, you know, driving around. The year before, I seen a good buck cross the road there. So I dive in there, you know, go mm-hmm. hang a random camera up there to kind of see, you know, I've never hunted this spot before. What's it going to look like? Um, or maybe there's spots that, you know, two or three years ago, we hung a camera on, we've seen a lot of good, you know, three and a half, two and a half year old bucks that may be something else. And then two years later, we go back in there and kind of put those cameras back in that spot. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, down at my parents, we have a big map on the wall, right? It's like a four foot by four foot map. That's kind of got our farm and then, you know, all the public and we kind of just put stickers on it. We're always kind of keeping tracks and we always have these funny names for spots like, some of it's because it's comical and some of it's because no one else knows what we're talking about. Oh, right. these names. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're always kind of thinking about like, Oh yeah, two years ago we seen, you know, there was a pretty good buck there that, you know, if he's got some years on him, maybe he's back around, see if we can pick him back up. But right. You know, like I said, it, it's just so hard to pick deer back up in that big timber like that. They move, especially when you get pressure like you do. Yeah. You know, the old bucks are smart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it's, uh, and that's a, and that's a big chunk you know, too, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not small, you know, and I can attest no. to just, you know, even hunting in PA with, you know, big timber, it's, you know, those, those deer, and it seems like they can almost bed anywhere too. That's the other kind of yeah. the kicker, you know, it's like, I, I, I've seldom in big woods found consistent bedding. I've found beds, you know, and I'm all, mm-hmm. I'm not the best bed finder by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, it, they just seem like they get tired somewhere and they lay down, you know, <laughs> like I know there's, yep. I know there's a more of a rhyme and a reason as to why they're bedded where, where we're, where I've found beds and stuff like that. But I haven't been smart enough yet to, to figure it out, um, figure it out consistently. But you mentioned, you know, mock scrapes to get, you know, and I use a fair amount of mock scrapes as, as well. And I'm just curious, you know, when you're, when you're hanging your cameras, if you're using a mock scrape or whatever, whatever the case is, you know, are you, are you using that, you know, during, during the summer as well? Like, you know, like a primary scrape area, or if you're finding primary scrapes, are you hanging there? Are you, are you mainly trying to hang them on maybe exit trails of bedding or, you know, or, um, 
you know, or travel corridors or, or maybe work in a bed to food pattern type of thing earlier in the year. Like, are there, are there any kind of specifics you like to kind of find for your camera sets? Um, you know, the biggest, some of the biggest ones is like, everyone knows that tree that always has a scrape on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll kind of beat it to the punch and, and put a mock scrape on there. I know it's going to get work. It's a good spot, um, to kind of, you know, put a camera up, get some good pictures. A lot of what I find myself doing too is finding these bedding areas and, and going on those downwind sides that I know those bucks are going to cruise. And, and, you know, I spend a lot of time studying topo maps and, mm -hmm. and looking at ridges and funnels and, you know, where do they all meet and mm -hmm. what that looks like. And I, and sometimes I kind of try to coordinate, you know, if I think deer are traveling through here, you know, can I put a mock here to maybe somewhat conjugate them that I can get a picture of them? You know, when are they moving past there? But for the most part, you know, I'm really just kind of sticking with kind of travel corridors and bedding. Food mm -hmm. is tough in big timber. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm I'm kind of a big, I, I really like black oaks. I have a thing with black oaks. I think the deer love the acorns more than something else. Hmm. It's probably more like a conspiracy thing, but <laughs> I've had a lot of, had a lot of luck around black oaks. I, I truly think those deer pick those acorns out than others. So sometimes I'll kind of pinpoint that kind of stuff. Hmm. These little black oak clusters um, that I know there's a good acorn near, but hmm. it's, it's different, right? It's not, it's not yeah. like you traditionally think of a food plot bedding. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of a different game of attack. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the misconception about hunting Iowa in general, especially, you know, if you're on public, you know, it, mm -hmm. there's plenty of farmland around, but you know, there's not always, um, a bean field or a corn field or whatever the case is, it's adjacent to it yeah. to where you can, where you can work that. That's not necessarily just like, the, just like everyone thinks there's 180 inch deer around every tree in Iowa. It's not the, not the yeah. case, you know, it's like, and yeah. there, just as much as that's true, there is not a, you know, cut bean field or cut corn field around every corner of, of public land either. So, you know, it's, you still have to hunt, <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, contrary sure. to, to popular belief. What do you, so two things, man, studying, studying topo, is there anything, that you've found consistently in, in Iowa in general, you know, in the area that you're, uh, that you live in, is there any kind of particular topography feature that you found or connection of topography features that you found to kind of consistently produce? Like, even if you didn't kill there necessarily, but you've run cameras in those types of like features consistently over time, is there anything that has con consistently produced for you that you can kind of think of? Yeah, for us, I mean, it's literally if you can find where the biggest ridge tops meet. <laughs> okay. um, you know, those deer that, you know, where we hunt, there's a lot of really deep draws, right? Yep. And those deer will, will work up the top and cut the draw at the top. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those bucks will work those side hills. You know, we, ne we rarely see bucks working the tops of ridges. They're always working just down off the edges of them. Yep. Um, but that's really what we look for. And I, and I study you know, topo maps, um, you know, the map that we have hanging on the wall at home, I actually, some of the stuff I do for work kind of, it's kind of like a, it's not really a textbook topography. It's called LIDAR. It's kind of like a laser hillshade thing, but it mm -hmm. gives topography mm -hmm. and we'll stand there and look at that. And like, yeah, these are, there's two big ridges meeting there. Um, and we can, we definitely put cameras down at Creek bottoms and stuff and can get pictures and get good pictures of deer, but the wind never works out for us. Well, it always right. swirls bad. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the big bucks stay down there. Cause they know they can get a scent from just about everywhere. Right. Um, 
but we always like to be up on those ridge tops. Um, a lot of times access is good that we can just, you know, a lot of times roads and, and, you know, trails and stuff in public almost always kind of take those ridge tops. Right. Yeah. Um, and kind of looking at, as well as like looking at trails, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether, however you look at them, whatever website or you want, you know, you can find that kind of stuff. And, and sometimes trails influence deer too, right? Like yep. hiking trails and such, but really our primary thing is, you know, looking at where do those big ridges meet or sometimes we get to those big ridges we hunt those and then we see that the deer are actually crossing over on the two you know slightly down from that and that's kind of where i talk about we we adjust those stands slightly in those core areas but um it's really just those ridge tops where they all come together try to find two or three massive ridges coming to the top we know those bucks are going to cut across there somewhere (laughs) especially if you can get it you know we have prevailing northwest winds here in iowa if you can get it just right to where a buck could cruise that ridge top and smell up all them draws, those are always great spots for us. It's funny because hearing you kind of describe that is um, kind of uh, like I had I experienced all of that <laughs> while, mm-hmm. I, while I was there, um, which was a little bit different. Like the, the the prevailing northwest was something that was a little bit different for me because we get a lot of prevailing southwest here in, in yeah. PA, right? Um, but when you talked about using those trails where I missed that first big deer was down a logging down literally a, a logging road that was just kind of tore up with scrapes and a rub. I think mm-hmm. I sent you a picture of that rub that was like neck high, yeah. neck high on me. Yeah. And I was just like, man, there are too many rubs all in one or too many scrapes and too many rubs all in one spot. I'm stopping here. And like literally an hour later, that buck come walking up that trail. And a lot of people overlook that stuff because it's just the easiest access. Right. But it like the sign was undeniable, you know, and a lot of people, you know, kill my buddy killed a killer deer here in Pennsylvania. And he was, I think he said he was 20 yards off the Appalachian trail, you know, like where people hike all yeah. the time. Um, and then when you're kind of talking about them, them running those ridges, the one thing I found was I was actually following when I lost, when I missed that deer and I was trying to relocate him, I kind of mm-hmm. walked back through that whole area back there and was actually following like uh, a rub line and a scrape line. And he was actually, he was almost, um, and I've heard people talk about this specific to Iowa and I'm sure deer do it other places, but the one guy I was listening to kind of talk about it, it was a experience he was having in Iowa where it was clear whatever buck was laying down this sign. And I think it was the deer that I missed was, was Ridge hopping. So it was like, there was this Ridge that kind of runs, I'm just going to say East and West. I don't remember directionally what it was, but then there were small little fingers that kind of popped out that ran, you know, um, like South, for example. And he was basically just kind of like hitting the top of one Ridge, laying down sign, hitting a rub, kind of side hilling it, but like Ridge hopping, going over to the next finger Ridge, laying down sign, going straight up over going to the next finger ridge but it was also kind of just using like that side hill as he would ride the rim around and then cross over Mm -hmm. and he would just ridge hop until like i finally found a bed and jump a buck out of a bed i don't know if it was him or another or the one that i killed um but then that was where the sign kind of all culminated and that was actually where i set up and killed that deer um you know which was kind of which was kind of interesting because it kind of you know it's all those things that you just kind of mentioned kind of kind of coming together which was kind of which was kind of cool to see it all play out but uh yeah it's you know it's it's funny to us too like you talk about like logging roads and trails it what i've learned you know over the years is that a lot of young bucks early will really tear up 
those logging roads all the way down them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, what we've really learned and what I like to do is walk those logging roads, the hiking trails, whatever, and there'll be scrapes all the way down them. But a lot of times you'll notice like the consistency or there'll be a lot more of them in one spot rather than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then a lot of times when you find that spot, you can find a rub or a scrape just slightly off the trail. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of times that we like to look for too. And then look at the topography. Like, yep. is there multiple ridges meeting in that one spot? Yep. And a lot of times that's the case that mm. those big bucks are just crossing that trail there. Yep. They might come up a ridge, get on that hiking trail, that logging trail, work their way down and then get on another. Well, that was exactly um, what he was doing. Cause he was coming up there yeah. and that was why I ended up rushing the shot and missing because I thought he was going to come up to this big uh, scrape that was right behind me, but I yeah. didn't see the one that was like 20 yards down the trail a little further. He hit a licking branch down there, hit that scrape. And then he dipped off into the timber and was going to go up over that ridge. And it, so yeah. you're exactly right. That's exactly what he's doing. And so when he did that, I had a holy shit moment and thought he was going to walk out of my life. And they, I had more time with him than I thought I did. And I ended up rushing the shot and, and missing him. But and, and we see that a ton. Like, And we've been guilty too. And, and sometimes we do hunt right on logging roads or hunt right on hiking trails or old railroad tracks. But, you know, most of the time, um, unless you get just like some big old buck rut in a doe, right? You don't mm-hmm. know what the heck they're going to do. Yeah. But most of the time, it's a lot of younger bucks that'll walk directly down that trail and follow that trail. Right. Um, you know, the the good deer that we've seen, they're coming off a ridge. They're hitting the, you know, the path of least resistance where they can get over to the next one. And you kind of see that con- congregation of, of scrapes and rubs in that one spot. And you're walking down the trail. It's like, oh, there's one, there's one. And then all of a sudden they start picking up more and more. A lot of times you see a big community scrape right there. Mm-hmm. Um, we look for that a lot. And I'm always looking off the trail. Like, where's the rub off of it? What right. ridge are they going down? Because mm. um, they're, they're just they're going up the ridge from a drainage and going down to the next and catching the next one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just, like you're talking about the ridge hopping kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, this is like such good information for me for when I come out next. Cause like all, because I've been there once and hunted it once. It's like, I can literally visualize as you're saying it, like some of the setups that I had going like, Oh man, that's why that sign was there. And that's where that buck would have been going, you know? And so it's yeah, totally making sense. Why do you think you mentioned black Oaks? Why do you think that you, do you have, I mean, do you have a hypothesis why you think you have good luck or what your conspiracy is? Why, why you like those black oaks so much? I don't. Um, Great answer. You know, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> so it's funny. I'm actually a forester by education wise. Okay. Um, so I went to school to be a forester and um, that, it's not exactly what I do now, but um, so I, you know, I kind of have a, my dad gives me crap, calls me a tree hugger all the time. Right. But I like my trees. Right. <laughs> right so, right. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's literally just experience wise over the years that, that where we've hunted, you know, me and my dad are on the same page. The buck I killed this year, I was hunting a black Oak, um, little patch. The does were hammering. It was a great acorn year. The does were in there. I mean, every night you sit there and just hear those does just crunching on those things. Hmm. Um, but we've had, you know, a lot of our sets really. And a lot of our stand locations are focused on one big black Oak that, you know, I don't know what the science is about it. Hmm. I don't know if there's like higher protein content. I don't know. Right. But, um, and maybe it's just a weird thing, you know, like everyone has that thing that mentally it's like, Oh yeah, the black oaks, but, right. Um, we just, we just have those spots and, and some of the best stand locations that I can think of that I've shot some of the good bucks I have out of, um, it's all, there's always been a black oak there, that they're, those does are eating acorns off of. So, hmm. 
I wonder I if it's I like, is it just, are they, are they, like, I'm just like trying to put a rhyme to a reason. It's like, I'm wondering, like, is there a certain like pH of soil that they thrive in? That's like usually always associated with like thick cover. Like, I don't know. I'm making stuff up, you know what I mean? Like that's, I'm trying to think about what could, be, what could possibly be the difference between why, why a black oak, not a white oak. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and I, I don't, you know, down there, white oak's really prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in Iowa, you know, oak hickory ridges that's a big thing you know especially in southeast iowa so there's a lot of white oak there's a lot of hickory um and there's a lot and there's a decent amount of red oak too mm-hmm. um and and i don't know if like black oak is something different like they're not as common they're not nearly as common as red and white and burr and and whatever you can find except burr oaks you know you a lot of see those in the bottoms right and a lot of the red and black oaks and white oaks you see up on your ridge tops but um I, I don't know. I right. really don't know if it's something about the acorn or what, or if it's it's something different to them. Maybe black oaks produce more acorns. Maybe you know what? It could be the fact that everyone prioritizes white oaks and tries to hunt around those, and the pressure pushes them off to black oaks. I, I don't know. I'm making that up too. You know what I want to do is I want to I want to actually email the guys at MSU Deer Lab and see if they see if they have like a scientific reason why that might happen. Now you've got my you've intrigued me with your, with your black oak talk now. <laughs> yeah. Let me know if I'm just like full of it, making up something, dude, whatever, um, if it's working for you, I would just keep doing it, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> but speaking of working for you, man, you killed an awesome buck this year, Yeah, thank you. you know, and, and I was super stoked whenever you sent me that picture, killer buck, magnum, super, just super big deer, super cool rack, tall, tight, just, you know, quint- like the quintessential, hammer iowa buck i was just curious because we didn't even talk about it. like you sent me the pictures and we and we texted back and forth you know after, you, after yeah. you shot him but i don't i didn't even ask you like any specifics around it and so i'm just curious man like was this a deer that you were specifically targeting targeting that you knew of and that you had some history with or what was the story with that so the funny thing is is i i didn't have like multiple years of history with this deer right mm-hmm. um and, and the crazier thing is is I thought I shot a different deer until about, oh, probably like a couple hours once I was back home Mm. and my cousin actually pointed it out um, because there had been a buck that came out of nowhere. I don't know where he came from. I got some cell cam photos of him kind of getting in that late October time frame. We were getting some cold fronts. Um, I was hunting those black oaks because the does were hammering it. I knew that the bucks would come through and check them, seeing a lot of younger bucks seen a couple older bucks that just didn't have headgear that I was looking for. Um, but I had this one solid, um, it was actually a nine point or he was actually a 10. He's like, you know, fours were real small. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and I kept getting pictures of him, kept getting pictures of him, had real big G twos, G threes. Um, and I just kept getting photos of him, kept getting photos of him. And that's the buck that I was going in there to hunt. And that's the buck I was hunting. Um, and the funny part is the buck I end up killing is literally almost identical, hmm. except for he has a small split brow time and like a weird little flyer kicker on his G2. Right. And, you know, in the heat of the moment, you know, I, they look so similar. And once we got back and we were actually like looking through trail cam pictures, we're like, holy crap, that's not the same deer. Hmm. Um, so it definitely was a bloodline thing. And I actually think the buck I killed is the older version. You know, we always joking, like, we think, think a buck I killed was the one I was hunting's dad. Right. You know, (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, and hopefully the buck I was, you know, 
going after will make it to next year. But yeah, it's actually a crazy story. And I don't even know if I texted you that probably because when I was texting you, I didn't realize it at that point, but yeah. yeah. Um, so did you have any trail camera pictures of this guy or was he a complete, like, you know, so I did, you did. Okay. I, I ended up that week. Um, so it's funny, right? So I always take like 10 days off, 12 days off in the beginning of November. And I go down, um, and I, you know, just strictly hunting. Um, but that week I ended up, I killed him the day before Halloween that week. Mm -hmm. I got some pictures of a buck way in the distance on my cell cam. I was actually at work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, it was just a side profile and I got these super tall tines. I could see these really tall tines, real heavy mass. And it was blurry. And I remember sending it to my buddies and I'm like, Hey, I'm not sure if this is the same deer. It looks like the same deer. And a couple of them were like, you know, it looks like he almost has a kicker on his G2 or something like, you know how it is with cameras. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was just far enough away and come to find out that is, I did get a picture of that buck. Um, but other than that, that was, I got two pictures of him. I seen him one time the day before I killed him walking out. Um, and then the next day is when I, the day before Halloween is when I shot him. Hmm. What was your, uh, I guess paint a picture for me, like the, what the setup looked like, like the, like the, you know, was this, you know, what you were looking yeah. for as far as like, was this where a couple of ridges are coming together? You know, was it, you already mentioned, you know, there was a stand of black oak there or there was a black oak there that was, you know, attracting some does kind of give me a sense of what, what the setup looked like. Yeah. So there was, there's kind of like two drainages, right. That was almost like the shape of a Y you can imagine the letter Y. Mm -hmm. Um, and on like, if you're looking at the letter Y on the left side of that kind of below that arm, um, is actually where I ended up putting the stand because these deer were actually working up these ridges and the best spot that I had where they were stopping was this black oak. There was a couple black oaks there. I found a big rub there. Um, and that's why I ended up putting the stand there, but those deer were working up those ridges that way to some heavy, heavy bedding that was actually back behind me, some real, real thick cedar cuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then kind of back off to my right too was, um, you know, some real young oak plantings. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you know the the canopy was real tight and it, it'd be impossible for like us to walk through but you know the understory was pretty open and they're bedding in that hard so what i was doing i was trying to catch them coming back to that bedding there was kind of a shelf there on that ridge it wasn't like a textbook ridge you think of there was like a secondary step mm. and that's kind of where those black oaks were and those does were coming up there and just munching on those things hmm. and i was getting this you know that big 10 there that i was trying to hunt um and then i was you know as as it came closer to October, I was getting, you know, different older mature deer necessarily their you know, their headgear wasn't the same. Um, but, and then I, it was pretty funny. I got this gnarly six point, which that gnarly six point that I got on camera a ton in there. That was, is a super old deer is actually one of the reasons that kind of helped me kill the one I did. Hmm. And we can get into that later, but, um, no, I was really just trying to catch those deer coming up those ridges, going back to their bedding, you know, they were obviously getting like primary food somewhere, but this was a pit stop that they were stopping. They were munching on those acorns. Those bucks were coming through there. I think they were actually checking the bedding first and then working their way to the food. And, uh, I just happened to catch him on his way through. Did, uh, so that shelf you were talking about, is that almost, mm -hmm. would you, would you liken it to almost like a, uh, almost like a little bench? Cause I see that a lot, like, especially like big timber, you know, or wherever you get some, topography and elevation change where, you know, you, mm -hmm. I'll just say, for example, like the one place that I've been scouting and hunting the past like year and a half is just, it's, it's pretty steep country, but you'll, you'll eventually get, 
like a place where you get almost like you're talking about like a shelf that mm-hmm. acts as a bench. And a lot of times I see sign congregated there because it's such steep, like side hilling. Otherwise it's like the one flat spot they have that they can either, you know, if there's an Oak there, like get, get something to eat or lay down a scrape or whatever the case is. Is it, is it likened to a bench or is it literally just like a little like flat spot at the, at the edge of this, at the edge of this Ridge? It's, I know what you're talking about in, in this situation. It was really just a little flat spot. And when I say a little flat spot, I mean, like it was not very big. Right. I mean, maybe like 80 to a hundred yards long and maybe 50 yards wide. Okay. Um, and the, and the weird thing about this spot, and I've never really seen bucks do this before, but the does would always work the ridge, just like you would think mm-hmm. working the side hill, of the ridge coming up, they would eat that. The bucks always walked in the Creek, hmm. like in the actual drainage of the Creek. And then they would come to this flat spot and then they would kick out and come up to it. And sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they would like stay in the creek. And the creek at times is like, it's a deep cut and it's not very wide. Like they didn't have very much room to walk through it. And I, I've never seen them do it quite like that before. But in this particular spot, they like to walk right down the actual like little gully itself. It's hmm. crazy. They must have some type of wind advantage there would be the only thing I would think of. Right. Cause I mean, it's not the path of least resistance. I wouldn't think. Yeah. I don't know. That that was the kind of weird spot about this that kind of stumped me. And and it's mm. funny too because the ditch was so deep that when I'm sitting in my stand and I, you know, if I look straight to my left, um, I could see kind of down the ridge and I could see that creek there. And when the bucks walked into it, it was deep enough that I could like literally just see their horns and maybe the top of their ears. Wow. Um, which is so weird to me, but yeah. they did it. And I almost everyone I seen did the exact same thing, walking <laughs> in the ditch itself. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Um, yeah. What, what was, uh, so, so you're in, you're in for the hunt the day that you ended mm-hmm. up killing this deer. Like how did all that, how did all that play out? Like the approach and the shot and, and, and it, like, was he, yeah. so, was he coming in? Were you giving up the wind to him? Like how did he come in on the wind? Like what was all that? Yeah. So it was funny. I, you know, I mentioned that I had like, I normally take 10 to 12 days off. So this would have been the weekend before I had 10 days off. For deer <laughs> trip, right. Nice. Um, and I, and I went down on a Friday night, came around Saturday. It was actually warm um, the day before Halloween. I, I think it was like upper 50, 60. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to hunt. It's this time of year. I know it's going to, you know. Anything's possible. You got to look past yeah. what the temp is. You, you just got to hunt. So, you know, my, my hopes were low. But I went in, um, set up. And as I'm kind of looking forward, you know, I had the wind kind of blowing, you know, kind of to my left side and kind of going over my right shoulder so almost right in the face but a little bit off to the left um and i had some does feed up kind of feed right up the draw like i thought they would they came right to that bench they were munching on those black the black oak acorns um and the funny thing was is that gnarly six pointer i was talking about uh ended up i'm not sure where he came from exactly but he ran in there and started chasing those does around was grunting and making just making a fuss chasing them back and forth and around me um, and I think that's kind of what the buck I ended up shooting heard, mm-hmm. but I was just watching this, this old gnarly six point chase these does around. And I happened to look over to my left and down in the ditch, like I was just talking, I just see, you know, the side profile of a rack that's got these huge G3s. His G2s are a little bit shorter, but just really tall tines. And I could tell by the way he was walking that you know, he definitely heard that other buck. He knew what was going on. Um, and he, you know, he wasn't necessarily like all burled up and posturing, but he kind of had that body language of, 
you know, I'm going to come in here. Let's see what's going on. Right. So at that moment, you know, I, I was worried that he would stay in the crick and work the crick all the way down and not come up to this flat and give me a shot because I've seen bucks do that before. So I'm watching him walk down the crick and I, and I was, you know, I'm contemplating in my head. I'm like, do I grunt at him? I know he can see directly up here. So if I grunt, he's going to look up here and not be able to see anything. And then, you know, is he actually going to come up here? What's he going to think? You know, I, I don't want to throw just a grunt out of nowhere um, when he can see the buck in front of him. So I'm just watching him work down this draw and he ends up stops and makes a scrape in the Creek. <laughs> like there's kind of, like the two draws, like the Y, yeah. the two parts of the Y come together and he literally is like scraping the sand. So I, I know he's riled up, right? Yeah, yeah. He wants to figure out what this other buck's doing. Um, and you know, someone was looking out for me because that old mature, that old six point ended up running a doe kind of over the top of the ridge to my right to where he couldn't see them. And he starts grunting down there in the ditch as he's making the scrape. <laughs> so I just immediately threw my grunt call, kind of put it under my right armpit, threw a grunt back the opposite way. And I've never had a buck do this before, but he literally turned, jumped right out of the creek, stood on all fours, looked right up at me and just snort wheezed his butt off. Oh, and, wow. I, and I was like, it blew me away. I, I wasn't expecting him. You know, I knew he was riled up, but I wasn't expecting him to be quite that aggressive at it right um and it just played out perfectly that that other buck chased the doe over the ridge top he couldn't see it but he knew they were over there um and i literally all it was was just one grunt because Mm. that old buck was chasing the does around he hadn't grunted in a while and i just threw one one grunt jumped out snort wheezed uh walks up on that bench starts making another scrape which was almost perfect because i had time to get my bow up um i stood up and he just slowly worked his way right up through one of my shooting lanes. Uh, I did slightly misjudge him because he was a little closer in the shooting lane than I thought he was. Um, but I got him stopped, settled my pin, let the arrow fly. And I, I initially, when I hit him, I hit him a little bit higher than what I wanted. Luckily, I was pretty high in the tree. I was 20 foot, 21 foot. So my angle really helped me there. Yeah. But settled my pin, you know. Let that back tension do the work. Arrow flies through, hit him. He kind of runs off a little bit, maybe 15 yards, um, stops. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I could see the arrow sticking out of him. And then he walked another 10 yards, didn't flag, didn't nothing. And he literally stood there for what felt like a half an hour. (laughs) And he just tipped over. And that was it. I could see him from the stand. We stepped it off. He only went like 25 yards. Wow. and it was just, and then that was the point I had to sit down because I was shaking so bad. I felt like I was going to fall out of the tree. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's when, you know, he's fired up, man. Cause that was all pure adrenaline yeah. there. Like he got hit and he wasn't sure what hit him. And he was just, he was probably dead on his feet and was just like the adrenaline pumping was just like, who, who just, who just, uh, antlered me? Like what just happened? You know? It, yeah. It's just, I'll have that. You know, out of all the hunts that I've been on, you know, that that picture of him jumping out of the creek and, you know, when they, they snort wheeze, they really stick their nose up in the air. And I could just see, you know, this my buck, you know, one side was like a six inch base. One was a six and a half um, and just sticking his horns up in the air. I could see those big main beans, big bases. I was like, holy crap. You know, yeah, this is a good one. Um, <laughs> and I, I wasn't quite expecting it. And I luckily didn't get too worked up until after I shot. but. Right. 
right. you know, I, that, just that picture in my mind. I've seen deer snort weeds, but I've never had one that aggressively immediately right when I grunted at him just jump up and he was ready to kick some ass. Yeah, I've I've never had one snort wheeze in the in the timber. Like I've snort wheezed at deer and snort wheezed them in. I actually snort wheezed one in in Iowa. Um, I think it was like the third day that I was there. I, I actually wanted to shoot that deer just for cause because I'd never snort wheezed the deer in before before that. Um, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, he got, he got a, he got a pass, but I've never had one snort wheeze. I mean, that's gotta be, that's gotta be pretty freaking cool, man, to see that. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it's just nuts. So just you, him. so you get yeah. out of the tree and you go to walk up on him. Like you obviously saw him fall over. So there wasn't like mm-hmm. a, there were all, you know, wasn't like an, oh crap. Like, where's he at? Did he go down moment? Like you obviously knew that he was dead. So now you're getting out, like you finished shaking. You're not falling out of the tree. <laughs> You climb down, you're walking up on him. What are you thinking as you're walking up? I mean, there was a lot of emotions because when I shot him, like in my mind, I was, you know, I, I thought I hit him higher than what I wanted to. And I was worried about that. I was worried about, you know, everyone talks about that no man's land. It, it wasn't that high, but it was high enough. And you always, you always doubt yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was coming from like a, oh crap like did i just make a bad shot on a perfect situation to immediately watching him fall you know he's laying there um it it was i i called my dad right my dad's telling me to be quiet because he doesn't want me to spook him but i'm like i can see the deer laying on the ground um but as i'm walking up you know it's just a ton of emotion that you know you made a good ethical shot he's laying there that was one of the first instincts you know, I still thought it was the deer I was in there after, but when I walked up, I'm like, wow, this deer is a lot narrower than what I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole time I just seen a side profile really besides the snort wheeze, but you know, everything else happening in that situation, I wasn't really looking at the width, but, right. um, yeah, I just, I just walk up to him and then, you know, I'm kind of picking him up. I'm like, holy crap. He's got some mass. Yeah. You know, he's not very wide, but yet he's, he had like 25, 26 inch main beams. They just really sweeped and came out. Um, you know, it's, it's a bitter, but it was also like an extremely bittersweet moment because I, I love the chase. Mm-hmm. I love the, you know, you know, and I, I truly do love checking the camera, setting the stands, helping people get in stands and all that kind of stuff and the walking in and out. And, you know, so it was like, a, you know, I'm three days away from my 10 day vacation it's like the the chase is over but yet i just killed you know which he is the biggest bow buck i've ever killed nice um what did he did did you uh did you put a tape on him just out of curiosity yeah he went 160 and a quarter nice yeah dude he was yeah with a 14 14 and a half inch spread yeah i know it's so crazy like it's all like if i'm remembering correctly like his tines almost come together like a cage yeah you know what i mean it's just like Super cool buck, man. Like, yeah, that, for and that's, sure. a, that's a super cool hunt, especially the way he kind of, he put on a show for you and uh, stuff like that. Like that stuff kind of, that I'm not, not even kind of, that stuff gets me fired up, dude. Like I, I'm ready to, I'm ready to move to Iowa like tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just, I saw the coolest stuff while I was out there. Just, you know, aside from like the caliber of deer, like I, that's what, you know, that's what people fixate on, you know, it, at least when you talk to people, that's what they want to go to Iowa for. They want to see those, the, the big deer and, and they're certainly there, you know, it's like, and I saw, I saw some really good deer while I was there. I mm-hmm. missed a really good buck and I shot a good buck and I, I saw, 
I saw a legit, like, you know, what people go to Iowa to see. I saw a legit, like 180 inch deer jump out of a draw in a CRP field. You know, I didn't have a prayer to shoot him. I was, you know, I, I spooked him. Didn't even know he was there. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was hunting that deer, but you know, but the thing that always will stick with me, you know, aside from filling my tag was it's the one place that I've ever been because the deer numbers are right. You know what I mean? Like this, the sex ratio is right. Like there's just, there, there is pressure. I don't want people to think that if you go and you hunt public land in Iowa, like you're not going to, it's going to be completely unpressured. Cause that's not true. It's like, you know, I, <laughs> no. I, I saw guys there, you know, like you and I were hunting at one point, not close together, but we were hunting, we were coming in and out of the same area, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I ran into this older guy from Kentucky, George, I believe is his name. You know, I ran into him in the parking lot and, you know, we run into each other a couple different times and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it doesn't have as much pressure as a Pennsylvania or an Ohio or whatever the case is, but you're, it's not, a, it's not unpressured. It's still, it's still public land. But mm -hmm. the thing that I took away from that hunt that I still remember is like, it's the one place that I went to that where deer just seemed to do still do natural deer things, you know, and like, and I got to see it all on display. Like I saw him making scrapes. I saw him raking trees. I saw him snort wheeze and I saw, you know, or, you know, I called one in on a snort wheeze. I was able to rattle one in, you know, it's like, so all those things that are just natural deer things, like I got to experience that all that. And that to me was the coolest part, regardless of size of rack was just like mm -hmm. watching them be deer was the coolest part of being in Iowa for sure. hundred percent. Yeah, you know, one of the things about down there too is, you know, I, I can hunt, I can hang as many trail cameras I want and scout as much as I want, and this is still why, you know, I got buddies that, you know, hunt stuff back where they're from, and they got good deer on camera and all this stuff, but yet they come down every year because, you know, it's Iowa. Mm -hmm. You never really know what in the heck could yeah. come up. Yeah, exactly. You know, it has the potential to, in a matter of seconds, you know, kind of like, I'm so fortunate to have this year is to have that, you know, have that few seconds of what you dream of, yeah. right? The hunt is amazing. Um, you never know what kind of buck can walk up, yeah. you know, exactly what you're talking about. You know, some of the coolest stuff I've seen, I've seen in the woods, wasn't 180 inch deer doing something. You know, it's like these little bucks fighting or doing, you know, just watching them do their thing is, yeah. is, is so cool in itself. Yeah, exactly. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on and uh and sharing yeah. the story with me, man. It's uh it was uh dude, it was a pleasure to get to meet you while I was out there. I'm glad we still stay in touch. Um I look forward to getting out to see you here. I'm gonna hopefully maybe make it out um not this winter, but maybe after next hunting season, be able to make it out to do a, a scout in the off season and then prepare to come back out the following the following fall, I think is my plan. But uh next time I'm out in your neck of the woods, I will certainly hit you up so we can get together, maybe share a beer. And uh between, oh, yeah. between now and then we'll just uh we'll just continue to send send each other deer pictures and talk deer. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Right. Well brother hey, I got one more question for you, man. This is always the hardest one. Yeah. This is how I'll close it. So if you are building a basketball team, a three on three tournament team, and you got to pick three hunters to fill a tag in any state, anywhere, public land, whatever the case is, but you've got to fill tags. Who are the three hunters? They could, the hunters could be people that you know, that you don't know, that are dead, that are alive, whatever the case is. Who are those three hunters that you're going to say, go fill these tags for me? My life depends on it. All right. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to pick people that I probably don't know more famous people. I, I don't mm -hmm. want to pick any of my friends and have them get some beef on each other because I'm calling <laughs> one a bad hunter and not the other. But, you know, 
you got to take Fred Bear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, probably Ted Nugent because he's a classic. Yep. Um, and then you know, I always grew up watching Jim Shockey. That was I don't know why but Jim Shockey was a guy that I watched a lot growing up. I thought a lot of his stuff was cool. Um, but yeah, that would probably be the three right there. Nice. And that would be a be a motley crew for sure that it would man the nuge man you'd have guitar <laughs> going on and him and bear are buddies you know and then shocky oh, yeah. shocky just looks like the the scientist guy from uh back to the future doc yeah, that's what he reminds yeah, me yeah, of. Sure. <laughs> awesome brother well hey dude i appreciate you coming on man can is uh you on the instagram or anything like that where people can follow along with you like any of your hunting exp- expeditions or anything like that yeah i'm on instagram it's Corey mckinney three um you know i I like to take a lot of photos and stuff too, just kind of not necessarily nature stuff, but I kind of get into the taking the pictures too. So that's awesome. on there as well, but um, nothing too crazy. Just, just enjoy hunting and fishing. So awesome. brother! Hey man, I appreciate you coming on dude. And uh, let's, uh, let's stay in touch and uh, I look forward to getting out in your country again soon. Yeah, man, give me a call and I appreciate it. Clint. It's always good talking to you. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.